Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good morning, dear listeners. You're listening to Radio 3CR on 855 AM and Palestine Remembered with Robert Martin, Nasser Mashni and Yusuf Ahmed Rimawi. Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English-language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Good morning, gentlemen. Morning, Yusuf Robert. Good morning, everybody. So, uh, first, I would like to say thank you to all who came to the Federation Square last uh, Thursday. Yeah, yeah, Flag Day, number flag three. Day. Fantastic. The third Flag Day raising in Melbourne. Fantastic event. We will come back with more coverage about it next uh, episode and uh, more interviews. Second, uh, what else do you have, uh, Nasser? So, yes, if we're going to talk um, with a local Palestinian about her family's uh, experience in Gaza in the past uh, couple of weeks. We're going to talk about a great initiative that's come out of the Gulf, so if you'll lead that, uh, an update on Gaza and perhaps some, uh, if we have some time about BDS, some recent BDS victories. And also, I still want to talk about Thailand, the uh, refugee crisis in Thailand. So Stay hopefully, tuned. Hope, this is going to take one hour, this 30-minute episode. Hopefully, let's... let's, <laughs> let's uh, Okay, let's get started. So we we were uh, delighted to have spoken uh, with uh, Miss Dalia Sabawi, a Palestinian from Gaza and a Melbourneian, who spoke to us about what it means to have all her family in Gaza in times of hostilities. So without further delay, let's have a listen to our interview with Dalia. Morning. We're joined by Dalia, who's a uh, Palestinian from Gaza, who's going to speak to us about her. Um, experience and also um, her feelings on her family's challenges dealing with the ongoing Israeli uh, blockade as well as this most recent uh, bombardment. Hi, Dahlia. Yes, hi. Now, first, Dahlia, if you want to give us a, an update, what have you heard from your family in Gaza? Well, yes, uh, uh, I've heard that they um, they couldn't sleep for the past two nights and they were really scared and frustrated um, because of the bombing, and they're not sure if they were going to survive. And we've been through this so many times before, and it's really frustrating. So they're 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 safe at the moment. Yes. But in the past um, eleven years, we've had three previous uh, escalations in in the war. Um, yes. Can you take us through that experience, that whole journey from from Israel's first disengagement, but reoccupation of Gaza to today? Yeah, well, we used to, from that, yeah, that, the 2014 one was um, pretty much really bad as well. The, we've called them every day, t- twice, three times a day to make sure they're still alive. It was really, 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 um, really bad. Um, like they, um, um, his sister, his sister that lives with his um, parents, 
in the same building. She had to move. She went to escape. She got her kids and went to escape to her friend's house. But nowhere was safe. Her friend's house, their neighbor's house was bombed. So she went back to her parents' house. They didn't know what to do, where to hide. They were just stuck and trapped in this, um, like, in this war zone where the bombing was, any like, randomly. And we were just so scared for their lives. And we'd hope and pray. Yeah. I mean, we should say, for our listeners that don't know, there is actually nowhere to, to run to. Nowhere. Not, there's no bomb shelters nowhere. or anywhere safe. Yeah, that's true. Because, um, and, and she thought, no, maybe it's safer if I go to this area or if I drive maybe a further half an hour to my friend's house or to my in-law's house. But then they got bombed as well, like their neighbor's house got bombed. And they were just terrified, scared, and it was a really hard time. It was such a hard time. Now, Dalia, uh, I want to ask about you now here being in a very far place uh, from them and sometimes there are no ways or means of communication uh, due to the electricity blockade or other uh, reasons uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure um, in the last uh, like Nasa said 11 or 12 years uh, there were times for you that you couldn't be uh, in touch with them T- talk, talk to us about what it means for you to be far from your family when they are in war zone? Yes. Um, yes, there was a time where they had no internet, no connection, and we would just go crazy. We would just not know what to do. We would just pray. That's all we could do for them. And it's really hard, and it still is hard until today when my um, in-law got really sick and he was on the hospital. But my his um, his son can't really... It's not as easy to get in and out to go and visit his dad and see him. Like, what if something happened to his dad? How is he going to go there and see him? It's just the, like, we're just the open-air prison, like they say. It's just can't get in and out as easily. And um, it was, yeah, it was really hard. I think our listeners also need to Beyond. know... I think the listeners also need to be reminded that what Israel has bombed of late, not long ago it was a cultural centre, this time it's a hotel, but also the TV's channel, uh, which is, you know, horrific as well. Yes. Non-military targets. Well, also a kindergarten yes. as well. And so part of what, um, you know, I mean, they have precise weapons too. Israel brag about this. But the fact also they had a failed, failed incursion during the week where they went into Gaza, as they do, and they've done it 70 times this year that we don't actually get told about, but they sneak into Gaza and they do what they need to do, uh, which is, you know, a horrible thing. So these people don't know how to, you know, to sleep. And another part of what Israel's trying to do is, you know, what they're doing in the West Bank is that they don't want people to feel safe. They don't want them to do this. I mean, not only do, and obviously I'm not telling you, Dahlia, anything you don't know, but they obviously, they hear the, the, the jets. They hear the drones. So even when things are quiet, they're not actually quiet. Israel's still doing its best to completely dehumanise and worry them because I think they also want uh, people to fight back. I guess, uh, Dalia, my question to you will be, how do you feel when you read the representation of Palestine uh, in Australian media? Uh, All they talk about is that as if it is uh, a war between two equal armies and, you know, there is no reflection to the suffering of the oppressed people. How do you feel as a Palestinian from Gaza when you read the news about Gaza in Australian newspapers? Well, I feel, um, I quite feel a bit, um, yeah, upset and angry a bit because it's, it's not, the news are not fair or they don't bring justice to the 
Palestinian. It's always they bring it as in both sides are equal, both sides are equal in power, or that's how it shows. To it. And it's not. It's unfair. Um, it's it's really like they're not showing the truth. Truth, like the really what's really going on there, and people would never know. Like mm. that's why we've got like uh, I've set up this community group with my friends. Is just to raise awareness and to tell people the truth that's what's really going on there. Did and every time people are shocked. I was just going to say, Dali, you beat me to it. They say, oh, we didn't know that, yeah. I was, I was going to say, yeah, Dali, you should... Uh, they just say... Mm. I, I was going to say Go that on. if you um, give it a plug and also tell us when that... Because um, I know you and I spoke briefly. When was that inspired and the name of the group so people can actually get involved with it? Yes, yeah. So we were inspired back in 2014 when the real, like, when the war on Gaza and like thousands of people died, and children, mums, and all that. And we were all frustrated. We all needed, to, like, we wanted to do something about it. We can't just sit there and watch. It's really, it was really aching. And we thought maybe we'd do a community group in the Casey area where I live, and just to interact with the social, um, just yeah, social interact with people, showing them our Palestinian culture and other communities as well to interact with us and just to raise awareness about what's going on as well. So, and a lot of a lot of people, every time we get the same reaction, they have no clue what goes on there. So just, just, just for our listeners, it's Casey Friends of Palestine and so they can look you up. Yes, it's um, called, yes, Casey Friends of Palestine. Yep, that's right. And you guys do some great work. I mean, you're, most of the events or all of the events and you're, you know, giving a yeah, lot of your time. Event, it's fantastic. Yeah, and we participate in multicultural events. We show all the bright side of the Palestine and the culture, yeah. So if, yeah. if a listener wants to support or to know more about uh, your organization, uh, do you have a website you can give us or a Facebook page? Yes, we have a Facebook page. Just um, look up Casey Friends of Palestine. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the address for it, yep. And, yeah. and if you like to send any message through the Facebook page and we'll reply Excellent. Now, Dalia, at uh, the end of our uh, um, conversation with you, we would like uh, to give you the chance to say whatever you want to say to your people in Palestine, to the Australians who here uh, under uh, or mis or less represented uh, news about Palestine. So, we um, will end with a message from you. Okay. Um, yeah. So, the, for the people, people, stay strong. Don't lose hope. I mean, every time I talk to um, my sister-in-law, I just, I keep saying the same thing for the past, I don't know, God knows, 20 years. And every time I just, like, just stay strong, yeah, don't lose hope. And um, for the Australian people, search, do more search about the Palestinians and, and what's really going on there and support, vote for Palestine and help us support, talk to your MPs around Try, try to get them to vote for Palestine as well, recognition and all that stuff, yeah. So, so th thanks very yeah. much. Thanks, Dahlia. Thanks for doing that because I know it's a very, very tough situation for you. I can't empathise because I have no idea, but, uh, you know, yeah. people can show compassion because it is a, uh, it's a man-made tra trauma that we're all um, participating yes. in. So, you know, yeah, thank we you really appreciate yeah. your time with us, uh, Dahlia. Thanks, thank Dahlia. you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you. And that was Dahlia Sabawi, who a Palestinian in Melbourne, sharing her experience. 
So um, another uh, wave of hostilities that the people in Gaza have witnessed, uh, things were at the verge of huge escalation and maybe another war. Um, so um, where did that start uh, or how did that happen, Nasser? Well, you know, it's surprising because we think we're getting to a point of relative calm. The Israelis allowed the Qataris to send some money through, some wages got paid. Um, but then the Israelis, for some unknown reason, decided to send in Shin Bet or Mossad to kidnap a, a Palestinian, and uh, that operation failed. The, they came under um, heavy attack, and one of the um, soldiers was killed. And of course, you know, if one Israeli gets killed, the Israelis must kill at least 10. The plan was to assassinate Noor Baraka, the second uh, man in charge of Al Qassam brigades. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, you know, created the onslaught. And it should be known, you know, we talk about um, relative calm. It's now in our 12th year of the the siege of Gaza. From 2015 to 2018, the Israelis have entered Gaza 262 times, 70 70 times this year. In this year. So that's more than, that's one every four days or so. Hmm. And we only get to hear about it uh, only when uh, the resistance uh, responds. Only when Israeli gets killed. Hmm. I mean, the the great thing was the um, uh, resistance filmed a great operation uh, a great uh, resistance operation um, in the um, most humane way. They waited for a, a military bus to be emptied of all the soldiers, and then they um, s- sent a, a missile at that uh, military bus. Now, um, one, one Israeli was killed, a soldier, so, you know, combat in arms, um, um, a, a, a thoroughly military target. But this escalated um, Israel's response, where they started bombing uh, kindergartens and um, the television station, etc., 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 killing another... And the residential uh, residential areas. Well, you know, the Gaza is so small, Yusuf, as we know. There is nowhere for anybody there's to no run. safe. Uh, nowhere safe. And they just kept bombing. Now, there's a bit of a ceasefire now, and hopefully... Um, an just, just going back, sorry, just going back to the bus, how did the Israel News report it to the world? Well, the initial reports were a civilian bus was attacked, and uh, a civilian was uh, killed. Murdered, yeah? And then came the footage. And then came the footage, and then, you know, there was no retraction hmm. that this was, you know, a, a military target in a military zone with soldiers on there. Um, it just shows the blatant lies that they used for the world. Well, so. it's, a, it's a reality. They've, they've been, the, the Israelis have uh, had, and still to a large degree, have, you know, 90%, 95% of the media, you know, reports their version of hmm. events. I mean, this is in the Western media. Of course, you know, the internet has meant that uh, more media, more news gets out and more of us can hear what's going on. Um, but the, the first thing that's going to come across on Fox or CNN or um, the Herald Sun Channel 93AW Fairfax is the Israeli uh, uh, version. Well, they always use the word retaliation now. So, yeah, yeah. You know. So an Israeli was murdered and five Palestinians were killed. <laughs> hmm. Anyway. Uh, on this, I have to mention a PhD thesis by one of my friends, uh, Dr. Mushir, Mushir uh, Amr, who spent all his PhD thesis uh, studying the, or analyzing the discourse by uh, New York Times uh, during the, dialogue, the second yeah. intifada. Yeah, and it, it, I mean, it's a wonderful paper if anybody ever wants to look it up, Mushir Amr. Um, but we should go, one of the, uh, as we know, Palestinians, our big thing is um, boycott, divestments and sanctions. And there's been some really good um, news of late, Yusuf, as we know. We've had, um, and I think the, the best report, and we'll make a link it in the podcast, is um, the Israeli diamond export. There's been a significant crash 
in the size of that market um, and uh, the, the fall in blood diamonds. Now, the Kimberley process is something that was designed in Australia to um, get conflict diamonds out of circulation. And, and the theory was we don't want to use blood diamonds out of Africa, you know, children, like labor, etc. Et Congo area. Correct. Yeah. Well, in fact, we say, uh, Palestinian activists, the BDS network, that any diamond that ends up going through Israel, in fact, continues the perpetuation of the occupation and dehumanization, mm-hmm. the murder, the, the uh, destruction that occurs in Gaza, all through historic Palestine and the West Bank, the keeping of six million refugees from their rightful place to return to their homes. Those diamonds that go through Israel are blood diamonds too. Mm. Um, and in the, in the past um, uh, year, that their sales have gone down 60% from a value of $11.25 billion down to $4.4 billion. That's incredible. That's fantastic. So, Go BDS. So this is, you know, it's, a significant, uh, it's a significant drop in, in turnover. And, uh, and it's still continuing over 6% in the, first qu- in, the, in the last quarter of 2018. And it's got to become so serious that Israel is now paying airfares, free accommodation, etc., to get um, uh, buyers, etc., to come to Tel Aviv to wow. uh, look, at, look at the diamonds there. So This but, tells you how much desperate they became. I think people should know, though, that BDS2 is only asking Israel to adhere to international law. It's a pretty basic thing. Well, this this contradicts the essence of a state like Israel because Mm. international law means uh, any form of law. Now, if if you look at the uh, history of Israel since its inception, what they did is first they declared the state with no border and uh, they had ongoing ambitions to expand their project with their own Palestinian Mm. or Arab land. Um, so another BDS. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Leeds has become the first university in the United Kingdom to div- uh, divest. They've divested from Airbus, United Technologies, and Cayence um, Corporation. So they've dropped Leeds. Leeds University yes. in in, mm. uh, in, in UK. The UK. And there also there's one more firm that they're now investigating, but they'll be dropping from HSBC. Mm. And um, mm. the the group's co-president Evie Russell Cohen, she said, "This is a massive success." We hope that it'll only be the beginning of a wave of change across UK universities. So, Any, anything from Sheffield Harlem Universities? I did a degree there. I was hoping that I will hear. <laughs> well, uh, you, need, you need to go I'll, back as a postgrad and tell I them. I need to. to speak to them. Yes. Um, so, uh, along with that, we've got a um, you know the the action uh, against uh, Eurovision and the the SBS. SP, oh, not just SBS, but against um, Eurovision, the entity for um, convening this 2019. Mm. Um, so let's not assume previous knowledge. What is the Eurovision and how important is it? Well, Eurovision is it's a cultural show. You know, every country sends a singer and that singer represents the country and um, people all over the world can vote. Eurovision, I don't know how to extend it to allow Israel in, but Israel is part of that. In, Israel was ousted from Asia. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, in they should sport, be ousted from sports, everything. In sports, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They should be ousted from everything. Yes. Um, but Australia is part of Eurovision now, so that's uh, uh, another testament to Europe's uh, great domination of the world. But last year, um, an Israeli contestant won, and it is um, convention that the, win- the country that wins hosts the next the year. The next one. Now, initially, um, the, um, the Israelis, as, as a coup to further consolidate their hold onto Jerusalem, wanted to hold the event in Jerusalem, and that met with huge uproar. Um, and the Israelis quickly backtracked. Um, uh, I think 
look, anecdotally, we hear that they were told we're not going to have it in Jerusalem. If you want to have it in Israel, it needs to be in Tel Aviv. Um, and then, it, you know, they did some backtracking and now it's in Tel Aviv. SBS is going to be broadcasting it. We're, we're against that. The Irish are doing wonderful work. The the um, Irish BDS committee, now the um, the screeners of um, Eurovision in Ireland, has said that if any of their staff doesn't want to go, they won't face any disciplinary action if they don't want to break the picket, which is great. Um, SBS, though, is continuing to uh, state that they want to screen the show in Australia. Um, BDS Australia has sent letters to each of the members of the board saying that we uh, would like you to not screen this. Um, there was an action during the week out the front of uh, SBS's studios in Sydney. Mm. Um, and on top of that, uh, a, a new Matilda article about um, uh, SBS threatening to sue BDS Australia for using their logo. So uh, I don't think they realise that we, uh, BDS Australia wasn't trying to profit from uh, SBS's logo, but just to highlight the fact that they were being complicit in the ongoing denial of Palestinian human rights. And on on SBS, I have to mention one day, I think I told you, Robert, I was watching the coverage, uh, I think the day with the Jerusalem embassy move, uh, they brought a report and they showed more than 70 or 80 seconds mm. on the on the concerns and fears of a family in Israel yeah. that that escaped uh, one of the missiles and no harm was done and they're not missiles and they, either <laughs> and they gave uh, no mention to hundreds of families that did not ex- escape the death uh, in, in, in Gaza, Gaza yeah. and, you know, uh, no mention. So we're talking about the imbalance uh, representation well, of the Palestinian issue, yeah. uh, and that's another uh, and, we, and we expect more from a public broadcaster that is not behoven to um, budget the budget demands of advertisers. Also, on SBS, even their Arabic broadcast is not any, any better. So I've been listening to the SBS Arabic radio, and uh, apart from the language, which is Arabic language, nothing of its uh, fair representation of the Palestinian issue. Mm. And just, just to round out our BDS uh, uh, segment, the um, Israeli part of you know, brand Israel is to make us really normal. They've got a, um, a food festival. And three top chefs from around the world have cancelled uh, following receiving well letters. Um, from 90 restaurateurs who, who mm. from within Palestine saying, please don't come. Um, Gabrielle Hamilton, who's the owner of uh, a fabulous restaurant apparently in New York um, called the Prune Restaurant. Um, so she's not going and a few other, a couple of others are going. So we keep hearing from, well from uh, Zionists and their supporters that BDS is not doing anything. But, I mean, I don't want to be a restaurateur, a diamond trader or a... Uh, <laughs> Um, uh, we had, oh, of course, uh, earlier in the year that music festival. So many good people cancelled. Let's be clear Lord. here because Israel is using uh, cultural events, whether cuisine or sports or any non-political, non-military events. They're using it to promote to promote their more right-wing uh, mm-hmm. policies, especially on the, on the issue of Jerusalem, especially in line with the moving of embassies to. So they, they talk about uh, cuisine or the Eurovision or anything, and all, all of a sudden we hear that they will take place in Jerusalem, not in uh, Tel Aviv. Uh, number one, in Jerusalem. And number two, what Zionism craves is legitimacy. Mm. We are just like the rest of you. You can be gay and walk down the street, but hopefully you won't get stabbed by an ultra-Orthodox person. You can be um, come and eat at a restaurant. Yes, this food, of course, it's you know Arabic food, but we'll call it Israeli food because you know some Jews are Arabs, so therefore it's ours. You know, although 
we won't talk about the racism that exists between the Ashkenazis and the Sephardis. We'll also use a kafir, Palestinian kafir. We'll colour it differently. Cultural theft. Cultural theft. So the appropriation and the theft, but it's all about creating normalcy. Mm. And it's what they crave. And so when a Lana Del Rey, when a Lord, when, when these restaurateurs, when the diamonds go down, it just puts dinks in the legitimacy. In the, mm. Because the reality is, as we know, as a colonial project, it is not legitimate. And you, it will never be legitimate you cannot, you if cannot even, if the, even if the regimes or the governments uh, tend to forget that, the people will continue to remind their, their own governments that we will not accept the legitimacy of a colonial project. And, and, and we, we talk about TikTok every, every now and again. We've had two um, fabulous new people enter Congress, two, uh, two Muslim women, one women. of them a Palestinian, one of them a Somali refugee, both of them pro-BDS. So, you know, the and 50 to zero votes that happening in it's Congress changing. will only be 48 zero, two now. And in, in, in line with this, uh, we spoke last week or the week before about uh, the uh, bad news coming out from the Gulf when it comes to normalizing their relationship uh, with Israel. Mm-hmm. And we've seen Netanyahu visiting Oman. We've seen sports teams visiting uh, Qatar. We've seen uh, and, and, and uh, the well, Emirates. The, the national uh, anthem. The national anthem being yeah. played. Uh, now, this week we have a bit of a good news. Now, the uh, people in the Gulf have responded, and uh, there has been a petition, a statement signed by more than 130 intellectuals from Bahrain, Qatar, Kuwait, and Saudi Arabia that they say, uh, not in our name, we the people of the Gulf will never accept Israel, and we the people of the Gulf will not accept normalizing, and we want to reinstate the laws of boycott, which was part of the legal system in the Arab countries, all of them, including the Arab countries. So I had, uh, I, I mean, I have to say that I was... Um, it was an honor to have been part of that by being uh, uh, in the discussion of, the, of of some of the wording, and uh, also, also should, should, in modesty shouldn't prevent you from saying yes. If you wrote that fantastic article some months ago, speaking about the need for for the Arab parliaments I, to start legislating, because I saw it happening. Yeah, and um, it's quite worth the, the good thing is that this initiative uh, has gained momentum. And now we have more than 500 signatories. It started with 130, and now there are more than 500 signatories, all from intellectuals, all from what they call the social and political elites, and also intellectuals. So it will, it will grow, hopefully. And uh, they specifically agreed on four points, uh, Nasser. Yeah, so a big thank you to that civil society leading it. But the four points are, number one, to reinstate the po- boycott. Number two, laws in the Gulf to ensure that we're not allowing Israeli delegates or um, uh, teams to participate in any events in the Gulf, be they sports, cultural or academic. Three, holding to account any person who does not adhere to the boycott. And number four, completely support and take all necessary steps to support the boycott, divestment and sanctions movement. Fantastic. And I also want to give the credit for particularly Mr. Ghassan al-Shihabi and Mr. Khalil Bouhazza' and uh, many more from Bahrain for spearheading this initiative. Now, before we leave BDS, we should just tell our listeners they can get involved with it. It's a very, very easy thing to get involved. For Australia, it's, the website is bdsmovement.net. That's bdsmovement.net.
Yeah, now, so. in the last uh, maybe two and a half minutes, I would like to talk about a humanitarian crisis that's affecting ex-Syria, ex-Iraq Palestinian refugees. Where? In Thailand this time. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, these people ended up in Thailand after trying uh, the necklace countries, including Lebanon, for some time. And they failed to be registered at the United uh, Nations, UNHCR. We spoke in Nasser uh, about uh, why the, the ex-Syria Palestinians don't get the pleasure or the luxury of being registered in UNHCR, but they uh, they did not uh, get registered, so they had to think of another country, and they ended up in Thailand. And now we have to say that Thailand, even though that it was a, uh, it is a, a poor country with limited resources, it um, opened uh, its borders uh, to the refugees for quite some time. And the failure of uh, UNHCR resettlement programs meant that the pressure uh, doubled and tripled on Thailand to the extent that they started crushing on illegal immigrants, including the few hundreds Palestinians. So, so far, the situation is the following. We have 400 Palestinians among nearly half a million refugees in uh, Thailand, and they face either deportation or detention. And when we say detention, detention in Thailand, unfortunately, it doesn't have the standards of uh, the detentions that you might have in mind. Mm. We're talking about families put in one uh, uh, one big uh, uh, rooms. Um, so for more than a month now, uh, more than 50 Palestinians have, have been imprisoned and the humanitarian situation Will, is continuing to deteriorate. So we'll, we'll come back with more about this uh, maybe in future episodes. Um, I also want to mention Darwish night uh, next uh, Tuesday. Absolutely. So mm. uh, Mahmoud Darwish, our famous Palestinian poet, will be celebrated in Melbourne next Tuesday in Keon's Children's Hub at uh, six, uh, 6.30 uh, next Tuesday. Uh, more information on apan.org.au. We'll also put a link uh, of that event in our uh, podcast. Nasser? And before we go, a big thank you to one of our listeners who dropped off a a newspaper from 1985, Free Palestine, which was uh, published by our former ambassador, Ali Kazak. And this publication ran for just over a decade, you know, that he ran himself with no advertising. Um, But it brings back some memories of my youth, the Free Palestine magazine. So our listener who dropped it off anonymously... Um, thank you so very much, and uh, a, a real blast of the past. Thank you. So don't forget, uh, listeners, tomorrow is the Run for Palestine. On Tuesday, we've got uh, the Darwish event on the 29th of November, the Jerusalem Al-Quds Peace Prize. So go to apan.org.au, and you can find details for all of those events there, apan.org.au. Don't forget, Palvember is uh, the best time to be a Palestinian in Australia. Until uh, we meet uh, next uh, Tuesday, this is the three of us, Robert, Nasser, and Yusuf. Salam.